Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, how you doing today? Hope you're well. Welcome to Behind the Brands podcast. I'm your host, Warren, as Paul has kindly um, explained. And uh, I'd like to say thank you. Thank you so, so much for joining us. And uh, especially if you're a new listener, it means so much to get some new people listening to this show. And um, yeah, hopefully you're enjoying the content. And if you've not heard any of the other shows before, don't forget, take a little bit of time, go back, look at the archives, and hopefully you'll get some more enjoyment out of some of the previous episodes. So back to today's show, really. Um, I managed to grab a little bit of time with a lady called Alison Lowe, MBE. And Alison told us a little bit more about what it was like for her growing up as a kid. She also told us about her performance background, which was fascinating, and how she took her entrepreneurial flair into the fashion industry. And basically, she's given so much to so many people within the business. I really hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you on the other side. Hi, Alison. Welcome to the podcast. Hope you're well. How are you today? You good? I'm really well, Warren. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on to this. You're very welcome. It's lovely to have you. I'm so, so pleased. I know we're going to have an amazing interview. We're going to have a super chat. And I know we talked previously, actually, and you mentioned uh, about a previous podcast guest that we had was Justin. Um, and, and you mentioned that you'd worked with him before. What were you doing with him just out of interest before we get going? Um, he was uh, a part of my PR agency. So I own various agencies in London and he came along and had a PR contract. Um, and so we did a bit of work with him and did some fashion week events with him. A phenomenal talent. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. stunning talent. Yeah, no, he is. I mean, it was a great interview. He's so humble, so creative. And I just, I thoroughly enjoyed the time with him. It was, it was such a good, uh, a, such a good episode. But I'm really, really so excited about today because I know you've got some amazing stories. I know we've chatted over the last couple of weeks and I know that there's, there's a lot of alliance with our mindset on the industry as it is, what we're trying to do to change it in our own little way. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit, Alison, about where you're from? Where, where were you brought up? Where are you from originally? Oh, wow. Um, from London originally. Um, Travelled all over the world, but London yeah. has always been my home. It pulls me back whether I'm living there or working there. It's home. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, you, know, I, I, you know, I lived in the States for a long time. I, yeah. I have lived all over, but yeah, it's still London to me. It's, I'm a Londoner. I'm oh, a Cockney. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, and what about growing up? What were you like as a little girl? What was you like as a kid? What did you want to do? Oh, Any ideas? Precocious. <laughs> um, well, I think t- there was two sides to my childhood, actually. There was one side where I was painfully shy. Um, and my father had businesses that meant that we had to travel with him. 
and we traveled all over the world with him mm-hmm. and we used to have to do entertaining with him we were like pulled out dressed up <laughs> i mean we were sitting at top tables of dinner dancers which used to be the thing at the time and yeah. conferences and it used to make me painfully shy um so for for my first part of my childhood i was this wouldn't say boot to a goose mm-hmm. Back in the day, unfortunately it's gone now, but I had bright red, they used to call it Titian coloured hair, really naturally red. So mm-hmm. everybody would stop and talk about my hair, which I hated <laughs> to draw attention to me. <laughs> um, and so I think that was the beginning of my childhood. And then suddenly, I don't know, puberty or something hit. Or oh, I also met this amazing woman and I just went the complete opposite. And then I was this precocious opinionated <laughs> attitude um, was the naughty yeah teenager wow uh, escaping uh clubbing i used to go into pete stringfield's stringfellows club in central london just off tottenham court road when yeah. i was 14 oh, um, you know i was horrendous i was every parent's nightmare um oh. So oh, I, and did you have, have you got brothers and sisters? Have you got were they the same or, or were you the you were you the rebel? I was the absolute rebel. I have an older sister, four years older than me, who yeah. is a proper goody two shoes, always has been, always will be. Um, she thinks I'm dreadful. She thinks <laughs> my life choices have been horrendous. You know, why couldn't I just behave like everybody else? Um and no, so I was the complete I don't know where I came from. I didn't really fit my family. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, no, that must be, yeah, those were the days, wasn't they, when you could just get into somewhere like that so young, you know, it was, uh, it was ridiculous really, but um, yeah, how things have changed, eh? Yeah, and did horrendous things, like, um, so my school used to be next to the Sun Blessed Bread Factory. Right, okay. <laughs> so most of my childhood is growing up thinking about the smell of warm bread. Yeah. Um, but the lorry drivers, we used to hitchhike with the lorry drivers. So we out and we'd still be in school uniform. We would change in the cab, but we'd be out, you know, thumbing a lift for the cabbies. They all knew us and used to take us in. Then they go, well, What time are you going to be out? And we'd go, like, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning. They'll go, Oh, I'm doing a route back. So I'll pick you up. So they used to help us escape from school. Oh my goodness. <laughs> back again. So, Gosh. yeah, so I have my, my childhood is also filtered with the smell of warm bread. Right. Okay. <laughs> good to know it's good to know well I'm from Birmingham originally and I my school was Cad, near Cadbury so I went to school in Bourneville um, and we we couldn't quite smell the chocolate we always like to think we could but yeah it's funny isn't it as you think of those memories and you think of like smells and senses associated with them it's bizarre um yeah fascinating and what what about the fashion industry then so as a kid were you thinking I want to be in the fashion industry was that something that you wanted to do no, fashion for me came a lot later. Actually, my sister was more interested in fashion than me. I mean, mm-hmm. she um, subscribed to Vogue since she was about 12 years old. So I used to pinch her copies of Vogue and flick through. And I actually wasn't looking at the fashion. I was looking at the models and the yeah. glamorous women. And I was very compelled by that side of it. She was much more interested in the fashion. She went off. She did internships at Vogue and things to be a fashion writer. Ended oh, wow. up actually in advertising and PR. But that was her passion. Mine was music. Right, um, okay. So yeah. I was very into the music scene. I um, So I, I used to have a day off school a week because I actually trained in opera at the Covent Garden Opera House. 
Wow. Okay. Fellowship at Covent Garden, which I hated because as much as I loved music, I hated opera. However, it got me out of school one day a week. <laughs> and um, actually, I only had to go and tra train for three hours. And so right. my parents never realized that for years that I actually only trained. So every Friday afternoon, I was hanging out in Piccadilly Circus with all sorts of weird people. They thought I was at school learning to be an opera singer. So um, so music was my thing. I didn't want to do that. I, I found a singing teacher who knew what else I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And he was pushing me to other types of music. Um, so I did all the training with opera and I got the scholarship. And, and I supposedly would have been a really good opera singer. Wow, Just, okay absolutely hated it yeah so you had the instrument you just you, you just didn't align yourself with that style that, that style so um so then music was my first love so then 16 um I basically ran away from school altogether at 16 I got my leave that's a surprise but that's, that's a... <laughs> and the school thought because unfortunately as well I was very I was actually quite intelligent they had high hopes of me going to Oxford to study law I don't know where they got that idea from. I had no intention of doing that. Um, but I had a friend at the time who was in TV, theatre, music. She was doing all sorts of different jobs. And I'd said, oh, I was really interested. I wanted to go to drama school. And my parents had said, absolutely no way they would pay me to go to drama school. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I just wanted to see what it was like. And she had an equity card. So she said, well, why don't you just borrow my equity card we look fairly similar because it used to have your picture on it. We look fairly similar. Just go and use it to go and do some auditions. Mm -hmm. So off I went to the Wimbledon Theatre with my fake um, <laughs> card, um, which was the union card that you needed. You couldn't get a job without that. Yeah. Just to see what it was like. Sat in this auditorium with about 400 other people in my school uniform. And I was one of the last they pull you down row by row. You go up on the stage, you do your audition, come off again. And I was about one of the last. And I'm, I'm really panicking because I'm watching the time and thinking, oh, I'm supposed to be at home. And uh. So I walked on a bit stroppy because remember, I'm this precocious, opinionated <laughs> kid with attitude now. And um, I think I huffed or something because the guy did something that he wasn't ready to watch me. Okay. And I huffed or something. And he said, have you got a problem? And I said, yeah, you've kept me waiting for four bloody hours. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, okay, well, do your audition piece then. So I did my audition piece, left, came off the, th off the stage, left around the building. As I came back around the building, he was coming back out. He says, you've got the job. I'll see you Monday. No, really? He wow. was looking for a 16-year-old schoolgirl with an attitude for a Birmingham rep. So wow. when he said Birmingham, I went to the Birmingham yeah. rep. Um, so I said, oh, bit of a problem. My card's fake. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he said, oh, okay. He said, let me look into it. But I want you here on Monday. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll discuss it. So obviously skip school, arrived on Monday. He said, we can get you an equity card. You're in. Wow. So I went to Birmingham living wow. in Rep Diggs in Spark Hill. Know it, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Very for a 16-year-old who comes yeah. from a very middle-class white background, suddenly dropped in a completely different culture. But yeah, I went off to Birmingham Rep. So theatre, wow. then started singing, toured um, all over the world with 
country and western. So I toured with all the country and western greats. I was Tammy Wynette's backing singer. Oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> for a couple of years, did all sorts of different jobs, um, and. But during that, I started setting up my own companies as well. So I became an agent for other yeah. people because okay. I could always find work. Like and an entertainment agent as such. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And my friends couldn't ever find work. So I used to help them find work. And someone said to me, you do know people get paid for that. Why aren't you charging? Mm. So I set up a business called Chameleon. And gradually, Chameleon took over. And the, the job stopped. Oh, I got a lot more choosy about, I, I launched a song with um, Stock Aitken and Waterman and they wanted me to go around every nightclub in the UK and lip sync to it. Oh, um, in the era of wet t-shirt competitions. <laughs> and yeah. I was either on just before or just after the wet t-shirt competition. Oh. <laughs> um, and in either way, I wasn't what they wanted to see unless I was going to get wet. Um, so after about weeks of that I told Stock Aitken and Waterman that they could shove their contract yeah that was it I left the industry so was that around the hitman and her all that kind of age was that is that around that time or was that it was at the time with um Kylie's and all those were going around okay yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so very early 80s yeah yeah wow blimey I never knew that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that you went from the performance. um, And it's funny because I've spoken to lots of people about this before, about having performance skills and being in the fashion industry, you know, because it is a performance, isn't it? You know, whether it's a collection or wherever you're presenting as a salesperson or you're working in a store and you're presenting it to your customers. There is an air of performance about that, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. I'm thinking back to some of the other guests that I've had previously and a few of them have come from a performance background because yeah. I think it's um yeah there's definitely a a show a show that goes on there and I think when you when you have that ability to do that and then you bring in the business acumen as well which obviously you have by setting up your uh, your business back in the day and we can talk about all the other businesses you've got at the moment there are many um but yeah it seems to be a perfect marriage really you know yeah. and especially when you when you fall in love with a, a sector like obviously it was music for you originally but then obviously it went on to fashion so well, yeah I mean I think it was the creative arts I love creative people I always surrounded I love art I collect art um I, I love creatives I think because my family weren't I had like just this love of different creative people but I also think the one thing that people that are in the creative sector particularly in music dance theatre is they're also really good salespeople because you have to sell yourself exactly there's nothing harder than selling yourself so again it helps you build those sort of entrepreneurial skills and and I think the one thing I did realize was I was an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. right back in the day of, you know, thinking about, well, I'm going to borrow a card so I can go in and I can see what it was like. I was doing my research. Absolutely everything I did highlighted that actually my main skill was I'm entrepreneurial. Yeah. I yeah. Opportunities. I know how to meet it. I know how to sell to it. I'm prepared to take a risk, but it took me quite a few years to get to that mm-hmm. point to realize that, Actually, that's my strength. Yeah, yeah. So how did you go from 
from doing what you were doing in the entertainment sector then to, to jumping into fashion? What what was the turning, was there a particular turning point that you thought, right, I want to get into this? Well, it was. So um, I had the recruitment agency. So I had the entertainment agency. Yeah. Then broadened that out into a recruitment agency and I sold it. Mm-hmm. Um, I then met my ex-husband and mm-hmm. he was a courier driver, you know, delivering parcels around London. So um, I was interested in what he was doing, which was also in the creative sectors. He was, his company that he was working for at the time specialized in print, in doing the couriering of all the artwork and everything to, for, for Vogue and Marie Claire and everything else in the UK. Okay. And they were really bad at their job. <laughs> so I said, well, there's such an easy, much easier way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually went to the main publishing company and said if I can guarantee you a better service in the company you're going for will you give me the contract and they said yes so I walked out didn't own a single motorbike fan or anything wow. <laughs> with a three and a half million pound contract oh my goodness wow um, and then literally drove around every other courier company and just waved 10 pound notes out the window at all the courier drivers <laughs> Pied Piper of couriers yeah, yeah I literally stole everybody's best drivers yeah. business. so then I had that split up uh, with my business with my partner mm-hmm. we sold off the business to do that because I didn't actually want to run a courier business again the entrepreneur in me wants to open something but not complete it um, and then I set up a consultancy. So I started doing general consultancy. I worked with Business Link, um, first of all, as one of their consultants. And then they kept having complaints about the service that they gave to creatives. Mm-hmm. So um, I proposed a project to them where I looked at what were the business needs of creatives, fine artists, musicians, you name it, anything in the creative sector. And um, they agreed. They funded it. And I created a, a project around that. And when I was doing that, I then decided to set up my own agency specializing in creatives alongside it. And that's where the fashion came in, because then I was introduced to somebody through a friend of a friend who said, I know this guy. He does the stuff during Fashion Week. He really needs some help. Can you go and have a chat with him? Mm-hmm. And I did talk to him. Um, I could give him lots of marketing and branding advice, but I had to say to him, I didn't understand the fashion industry or particularly fashion week. Yeah. And he said, come along, have a look, see what you think. And I was intrigued. I mean, the first day I thought it was amazing and I had a great time and Mm -hmm. they gave me a wristband, which was access all areas, VIP, front row. This is amazing. It was back in the day when you got amazing goodie bags. (laughs) Yeah. Kid at Christmas, it was like, oh my god, this is so exciting. Yeah. Went back second day, and I think again, my inner entrepreneur on the second day started to kick in and thought, where's the business going on here? I can see loads of people spending an awful lot of money, mm-hmm. and this is before the age of Instagram, before the age of the selfie. But these designers were paying for all this money to do these shows, so other people had a great time. And actually weren't supporting back what they were doing. Yeah. So it really fascinated me. So I I got the contract to work with this other guy who I worked with for three years. um, And that was Lee Lapthorne at On Off. Um, So I worked with On Off and I helped Lee set up his own in-house PR and marketing function and take control of it. So in doing that for three years, that put me front of house. 
mm-hmm. uh, Indian Fashion Week, seating eight shows a day, 600 guests in each show. Wow. So literally thrown in deep end in doing that. And alongside that, then building my own agency that was looking at, so within my agency, having a fashion arm that looked at supporting more emerging fashion brands. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was it. That was the start. So 2003 set up Felicities, then as the, the fashion arm to my main business. Got you. Okay. And what were, what was your, so you said about looking at the opportunities within Fashion Week and this kind of light bulb went on. Um what was your general thought of being in that environment? I mean, what was, was, what was, how did you feel about the creatives and the industry and, and how it all worked, the mechanics of it? Could you work that out at that point or has it taken you a while to get your head around it? They were fascinating things. So, um, so think the things that really sort of highlighted to me was, so the first day I just did catwalk shows and thought this mm-hmm. is amazing. And then the second day I watched more and I, I went back to Lee and I said, I don't understand quite what's going on here. Um, you know, are these people paying to be here? I thought this was industry only. And he was saying, no, business is being done somewhere else. It's in the exhibition where they're standing and they're talking to buyers. So then I thought, oh, well, I'm missing the point. I've, I've mm-hmm. missed a bit. So I went up and I was listening in and I was talking to people and I kept hearing there were there were two types of designers up there. The more established who often had a sales agent who was yeah. doing the selling or the really young, naive designers who were like bunnies in the headlights sitting there like, oh, we're in fashion week, we don't know what to do. Um, and I listened into some amazing things that people kept saying. And one of them that I kept hearing everybody was doing the sort of the sales deal, showing people all around the collection and then saying, we'll see you in Paris. Mm-hmm. And everybody was saying, we'll see you in Paris. So I actually stopped to one of the agents and I said, why didn't you secure the deal? <laughs> why did you let them go? with our see you in Paris. Why? He said, oh, well, London is about showcasing, Paris is about selling. I said, pardon? He said, so <laughs> we do here, and then we do it again in Paris. So we go and have another exhibition stand in Chinoy or Premier class yep. or whatever. And I said, so you do one exhibition to go and do another one later to get the deal. Why don't you just go to Paris then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he said, well, no, because you have to showcase in London because that gives you the buzz that then means that you sell in Paris. And I'm like, I don't, well, I don't know any other sector in the world. I mean, I've worked a lot in the car trade. So I've had mm. lots of clients, Aston Martin were my clients, Lotus mm-hmm. Cars. They don't do the motor show in the UK and then go and do it again in Italy to get the deal. Because why would <laughs> you spend the money in one to go and do it somewhere else? So that absolutely fascinated me. The young yeah. designers were saying the same as well. We'll see you in Paris. And I said, why are you telling them you'll see them in Paris? Like, get the pen out. Get mm-hmm. the pen out. Mm-hmm. Scratch so, the yeah, pad, as we say. Yeah, absolutely fascinated me that there was this big divide. Mm. Um, other things I heard were, um, well, talking young designers, talk me through your collection. They could talk about their collection. They could tell me how they met at Central St. Martins or LCF. Um, what they were inspired by, where they found their fabrics. But a basic question, like how much is this dress going to retail for? Mm-hmm. Didn't know. And I'm like, but you're here to sell. Yeah. So why don't you know? Um, so I started to hear all these things. Um, when I did some research afterwards, I found horrific um, things that were going on, particularly for these young designers who were gullible. So a young designer who was paying a London PR agent £2,000 a month back in 2000 whatever Mm -hmm. um 
and was, was wondering why he wasn't getting any results from it. He was actually doing New York at the same time. So he was doing London Fashion Week and a London PR agency, and New York Fashion Week and a New York agency. New York was going amazingly well. London, nothing. So I said, can I just investigate? I'll go, they don't know me. I'll just go in and see what's going on. So mm. I knocked on the door of his PR agency, um, asked over the buzzer, could I see his collection? They told me um, it wasn't available. And I said, no, the brand sent me down here to see it. Mm. They let me through the door. Then I was met outside the door with the, we're really sorry, but his um, agent isn't here today. So we can't show you the collection. And I said, well, I'm not here to see the agent. I'm here to see the collection. Mm -hmm. so let me look at the collection. And they went, and, and, um, well, we don't really do that. And I said, well, I'm here to see the collection and I'm not going until I've seen it. Yeah. And he sort of slid back through the door and slammed it in my face. And I could hear behind this door lots of shuffling and very heated whispers going on. So mm. I thought I'd just try the door and he hadn't locked it behind him. So as I opened the door, they were dragging this collection out from underneath the desk where it was thrown oh, in wow. a box. And I'm talking about beautiful thousand pound dresses. Wow. That was why he was getting no results. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't the only, I found hundreds like that. Mm, mm. So what came out of that was for me, this need to work with and educate and train younger designers. Mm-hmm in the business skills that they need so they don't get taken advantage of. Um, there are loads of people out there that are ready to take their money and mm -hmm. they don't care about them. Yeah. Because yeah. next year there'll be another 3,000 graduates coming out of London yeah. um, who will want to be fashion designers too. So there's a ready stream of new talent. Mm -hmm. um, they don't care if they abuse them. They just take the money. Um, and so that's what Felicity's my first agency in 2003 was about was supporting mm. these young designers and it's led from there to me it's about teaching them how to be an entrepreneur yeah to really know what they're doing with their business and not to be so gullible yeah yeah i think that's half the problem isn't it i think you know creative people do get the um they get taken advantage of you know they that people look at them and think oh well you know they're only a designer or they're only a graphic designer or they're only a, a painter or whatever it is you know or they're only a singer you know and and you're you're almost down the food chain so far down the food chain that you don't have a voice and i think what is wonderful about your business allison is and we i know we've talked about this previously you know that you are amplifying them for the right reasons you're giving them the opportunity to say actually i'm worth more than that my values my brand everything i stand for is worth much more than that yeah. um and it, and it must be really quite satisfying for you you know you must have had some amazing people come through your business that you just think oh my god i started working with this person and look at them now, you know, is there anyone that stands out in mind? Is there anyone that kind of jumps to the lead there that you just think, I'm so proud of that person? I'm not going to name names because okay, don't name names. so many and I hate to pick out somebody mm -hmm. and then other people think, oh, she's got Why didn't she say me? <laughs> yeah, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm very careful that I don't name names for that very reason. All right, let me rephrase the question then. Let's not name names. Let's yeah. talk about the values that put them aside from everybody else. What makes them so different? I think it's the ones that really are prepared to work for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think over the years, the designers that we've worked with come into two categories. Those that maybe have money, they like the idea of having a business. Mm -hmm. um, 
they just think it's going to happen. They think they're a phenomenal talent, but they're not prepared to work for it. Or the other half that will literally give up anything to live their passion, which is their business. Yeah. And to me, it's those ones that I really, really admire. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I have seen them. I had one of the designers who, you know, she had no money to start her business. Um, she started doing zero waste and using dead stock before it even became a, a name of things that people did. Um, yeah because she couldn't afford to buy the fabrics that she wanted. So she went and knocked on the doors of some of the luxury houses and said, hi, I'm this little designer from East London. Do you have any fabric, surplus fabric I can use? And I'm helping you with your zero waste by doing that. Um, And she was doing that and she still didn't have money to do the things she wanted. So she lived in a one bedroom flat. She rented out her bedroom and she had a roll up mattress that went underneath the dining table come cutting table, come sewing table. And she would roll her mattress out at night Mm -hmm. and sleep on that so that she could invest everything she'd got into her label. Um, And that to me is that's seeing those people succeed, Mm. getting them results, making sure that they are happy in their business. Because to me, that's it as well. It's I I very much take a, a mental health attitude to a lot of the people running their businesses as well, because Obviously, the burnout um, mm. rate of creatives is really high. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time talking to them about balance as well um, yeah. with that. So not only seeing them succeed, but actually enjoy their success and yeah. be doing what they want to do um, with their business. That I take great enjoyment out of. And, yeah. and lots of people say to me, God, you still work so hard. You know, why do you work so hard? Why do you do so many different things to support the sector? And I said, because of that, because I actually do get, it's not about the money, (laughs) pretty good job um, in fashion sometimes and it isn't about the money, but it is about the enjoyment of sharing entrepreneurial journeys with people. Um, That's what drives me. That's what gets me up in the morning. That will make me take that call at, you know, 11 o'clock at night from a designer who's having a panic or a wobble about what they're going to do or bad news. we do it. We do all of it. And and it, it's what drives me. Yeah. You know, you've hit some really interesting points there. It's normally a question I ask at the end of the podcast. So I'll ask that question about what gets you up in the morning, Alison, or why do you do what you do? Um, but it's brilliantly, you framed it beautifully there. And this mentorship goes beyond literally just telling them what to do and how to do it. You know, that example you gave there of the, of the young lady, I assume it's a young lady, you, you didn't mention any names, um, who who made the sacrifices, you know, for the benefit of, of what it all is all about. And I think there needs to be more of that. I think the industry, as you know, and I know we've had conversations before, there is this facade that is sat across the industry for lots of different reasons, whether it's social media, whether it is the, the overnight success, which actually probably took somebody probably 10, 15 years to get to that point. So going back to your thoughts of of why you started the agency and and the and the morals behind that do you think things have moved along anymore or do you think they've got better for for designers or do you think they've got a little bit more challenging um i think it's more challenging i think it's maybe different challenges but it's more challenging I, unfortunately i don't think it's better i mm. think there are still unfortunately a lot of people out there um that are will take advantage of young designers for their end, not for the brand's end. Yeah. Um, 
And, and, and under that banner, I put some really big organizations that are the big drivers behind, um, you know, the fashion industry, you know. And, and I have to say to designers, that's not their fault. Mm. It's because you're gullible, because you're not thinking, well, hold on, what am I getting out of it? What are they getting out of it? Because you're not business savvy. You are allowing yourself to be taken advantage of. Therefore, you're allowing them to continue to do what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that is an education system um, that needs to change. I, I think it's really tough for designers. Maybe the, the challenge is different now. When I first came into the industry, it was about young designers wholesaling. Mm -hmm. um, I think now it's all about them direct to consumer more. Even yeah. if they want to wholesale in the end, often they have to go direct to consumer, first of all, to evidence that there is a market that that wholesale client will, will want, um, which means that they need even more business skills than they had in the past. Mm. Because in the past, the, the, the system was, you made the collection, you made samples, you took it to a trade fair. The trade fair did the work in bringing the people, they walked past your stand, hopefully they placed orders. Yeah. You could then go ahead and make it. In that time that you were making it, you then started doing your PR, you talked to magazines and they wrote about you so that when the product came into the store, it was there. It's mm. a very set business model. It's gone. Yeah, yeah. The magazines are there. They yeah. won't write about the young designers. They won't write about you if you're not in a store. Yeah. That wholesale market just isn't there for these emerging talent, even though so many are out there still desperately doing trade fairs in the hope it's there. Mm. Um but now they have to think about doing the whole thing. They have to market it themselves. They have to price it themselves. They have to work out how they're going to get to customers. Mm. They have to do PR themselves because it's not about doing any of these things through third parties anymore. They have to know how to do it. They have to know how to sell. They have to know how to do the PR themselves. Yeah. So very different business model that they're working on. But in many cases, the education system in teaching them to be fashion designers who are going to open their own brand hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Loads of graduates who are thinking it's all about doing a catwalk show because yeah. catwalk show they'll then get the wholesale bars. I'm going like that stopped happening ten years ago. Like, mm. but they're still being taught these old systems. Yeah, so the challenges are different. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and again, I've talked about this with with other guests on the podcast as well about the education system and you know how they actually leave from that last presentation of their work and you know their their the the work that they put in. They come out into the big wide world with their wide eyes and think, okay, let's do it. And and all of a sudden, reality kicks in, and they do have to be an all rounder. They have to be so rounded and so understanding of so many different elements. I know. I want to ask you a quick question actually about your book because obviously you categorized and put everything down or as much as you could in a book what was that like to, to actually write was that was that enjoyable process or not <laughs> no <laughs> neither for me nor the publisher that I first started off working with. Right, um, okay. I, I thought it was going to be easy to write because I go out <laughs> I deliver lots of lectures I work mm. with universities now because rather than just moan about them I'm going in and working within them to try and yeah. change the education system um, so everybody been saying to me for years, oh, write the book. Why don't you just write the book? Just relay what you're doing into a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm very much on the hoof. It is that, that creative in me, that planning it. So I was like, yes, okay. So I had an initial publisher yeah. who commissioned me um, to write the book. 
and two years after the deadline of when I was supposed to submit it, when all I'd written was half one chapter, um, we agreed to part ways and I gave them the money back. Did you? Um, so that was that was the first couple of years of thinking about writing the book yeah. um, and then through a, a, a business network that I'm part of um, I met this guy who who teaches people also like he helps you publish it but it's a sort of self-publishing thing going through Amazon I loved him I loved mm -hmm. his approach to writing the book and I said oh you know I, I told him the story I've been supposed to do it two years later hadn't done anything had to give the money back and he was like, yeah, you should do it. Let me help you. So he mentored me in doing mm. it. I drove him nuts too. I mean, he, it got to the point he was doing weekly calls with where is the next chapter. <laughs> and, and it just took a while for me to find my style in writing because I wanted the book to be the same as me teaching or me mm. talking to people. And everybody says I'm very practical. I give very honest advice. So I didn't want it to be just like, oh, another book where there's case studies and everything else. Also doing some research. If you put a case study in your book, it usually means that that company will go out of business. Very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I looked through all the case studies. Most of their businesses have gone that they yeah. used as case studies. So um, it was about me talking. So in the end, I did it very much like, well, if I was doing a mentoring session, what would be the steps I'd go through? So it is literally chapter by chapter me talking almost saying mm. this is what you need to think so it's very practical there's no pictures there's nothing it is literally like you can pick a chapter and go i need to know about intellectual property let me read that chapter mm. okay very basic yeah. english yeah very con conversational sort of approach to it mm. what i like about you alison li listening to you is you i love the way that you kind of standardize everything you know you kind of you're very good from what I can gather. And again, I'm a salesman, so I listen a lot and I kind of understand a little bit of the psychology. But you seem to pigeon everything really, really well, which I think is a great attribute, especially when you're a mentor, because it's really important when you've got creative people and they're all over the place and they're all trying to take on the world and do everything else for everybody else. I think, you know, you and this kind of boxing off everything is a really, really good skill to be able to pass on. You know, and I know we had a conversation earlier about podcasting and I asked you the question, so tell me about the podcast that you want to do. And you went, I'm not going to do it. And I think what I love about it is it's just definitive. It's black and white. And I think that's been lost from the industry, to be perfectly truthful with you. There's been so much kind of missed and misunderstanding and misrepresentation and perception of different things and perception of different brands and perception of different retailers without the definitive black and white, the actual putting things down and making it concrete so you can make a you can make a decision on the basis of knowing what the facts are and I, I love that and I, listening to you in the way that I can just see why your students and the people that you work with are kind of listening to everything that you say because you're not just saying it you're actually thinking about what you're saying for the benefit of them which is all important so that's really so I'm going to ask you another question just quickly what are you not very good at oh lots of things okay um, writing books generally <laughs> I'm a brilliant I'm, I'm a great ideas person yeah. I love ideas that's the entrepreneurial bit I can come mm -hmm. up with 20 business ideas a day um whether I'm going to follow them through mm -hmm. then sometimes the the reality I also leave things to gut instinct as well so I may come up with an idea yeah and I'll push ahead and I I don't know may think about it I may do some initial work and then I sit on it and then I think which was the podcast thing 
what is my gut telling me? Do I really want to do this? Mm. And then you go, no, I'm not. That's not what drives me. That's not my passion. Leave it. Let that to something else. Um, so the things I'm not good at, I'm not a good finisher. I, uh, I have ADHD. I didn't know that until I was in my 30s and one of my daughters got diagnosed and was like, oh, that's, that's me too. Really, so yeah. I have to be very careful because I can get very easily distracted and I can... I will have so many pies in the air at the same time. Mm. Um, so luckily, I've got much better at making sure I do everything. So I'm, I'm really good at fulfilling obligations with stuff. Um, but I can overwhelm myself by just taking on too many projects. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Um, also, which I know I'm, I'm bad at, but I have systems in place now, is accounts. I hate them. I hate anything to do with numbers. I am not a numbers person. If somebody throws numbers at me, and you're like percentages or something. It's literally like my brain shuts down. <laughs> right, okay. Um, yeah. I was like, it just doesn't go in. It doesn't mean anything to me. Now I yeah. can do it because I actually went and I, I, I did a business degree much later. I went back to university and did a business degree. And alongside that, I did an accountancy degree because I felt like I should know how to do this. Because otherwise, how can I ask somebody to do them for me if I don't mm. know that? Mm. So I can do it. I can do spreadsheets and profit and loss and I have no desire to do it. I never want to do it. I never will do it. <laughs> um, I have a really great accountancy firm who've been with me for 20 odd years. Um, I have a great bookkeeper and I put all the systems in place to make sure that they kick my butt to make sure. So they literally yell at me like, we need your receipts. Give us your receipts. Mm-hmm. Here's the books. Um, because I will put it off because I don't enjoy doing it. Yeah, yeah. Accounts, I'm not good at. I'm a good starter. I'm a great ideas person. I have to force myself to be a finisher. Or the other thing that I found is having the right people around me mm. who do the other things that I don't like doing. So many years ago, when it used to be when we used to do a lot of fashion weeks, so my agency would do the PR for fashion weeks. Um, we would do the seating of the shows and everything else. I cannot do seating of shows. I have the patience of a gnat. And when people come rushing into fashion week shows who are all telling me that they are highly important and they have to sit front row because they own an iPhone and they need to take a picture for their <laughs> 20 followers. Um, I don't have the patience for that. So again, I have a brilliant team. I have this amazing guy called Jeremy, who's my event manager. Um, I have brilliant people in my company who work for me and I come in, I'm the ideas. I throw all the ideas out. This is what we want to do. We want to do this, this and this. Yeah. And then they scoop up. They are my finishers. They are the moppers-upper behind oh, yeah. me yeah. who do the stuff. So over the years of being an entrepreneur, I've learned how do you counter for the things that you're bad at so that means you can carry on. Mm, interesting. That is really good good, good advice there. And, and again, I suppose it is something that everyone needs to look at and just identify where your strengths are and your weaknesses, obviously, and just you know adapt your business accordingly. Um, I want to ask you a quick question about technology, actually, Alison. So how do you think the industry is going to look moving forward with regards to tech? Is there anything that you're kind of hearing about or seeing in the industry that you're really interested in? Okay. Well, first of all, I thought you were going to ask me how good I am at tech, and I could tell that my office team would be kissing themselves, laughing, because I'm not. Hence the beeping in the background. I know, I keep hearing the ping in. I don't even know what that is. Everything is turned off. Apologies, Um, listeners, for any pinging. I'm sorry for the pinging of whatever that is, because there is nothing open. Okay. We'll work through it. in my office, not working from home. 
my brilliant team would have sorted that out for me. So technique, nothing. However, I'm obsessed with new tech. Okay. Um, and I love it. And I think the fashion industry, yes, um, lots of new technology coming in. So I've been working a lot for quite a few years now around things like AI, AR, augmented mm-hmm. reality to me is absolutely brilliant offers. Even startup brands have the potential to do augmented reality, mm-hmm. even if it's to the basic level, which everybody's learned to do over the pandemic, which was use QR codes. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when we started doing QR codes 10 years ago. They absolutely died to death because nobody knew and we couldn't get customers because you had to have a special app and then you had to do it. Yeah. The pandemic has brought back the QR code um, <laughs> and make it relevant, which means that now consumers having done that will be now ready for more augmented reality. Mm. Where they weren't before, they weren't quite ready. They didn't know how to use it. So I think we've had a bit of a, over the last few years, know that there is huge potential for using virtual reality, augmented reality. But brands trying to do it, but the customer wasn't quite ready. Mm. I think now we're getting to the point that the customer's ready. So I do a lot of work with stores and retail. So bringing in omni-channel and making sure it really is omni-channel, not just mm-hmm. well, we've got a website and we've got a screen in our store. Yeah. But that integrated sh- shopping experience where um, people participate, they can have activities, they can do things using different technology. So I think it has huge potential Mm. Um, I think there's lots of new things coming along Um, again the pandemic has sped things up so um, live shopping which is huge in the far east yeah is starting to be integrated now so for the lower end of the market the ASOS the the high street Mm. live shopping has huge potential for them luxury market a slightly different form of live shopping could Mm -hmm. have potential for the future I think if our brick and mortar retail is going to survive, it needs to have technology. It needs to have that omni-channel. It needs to be experiential. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some brands out there that are doing it amazingly well, like Adidas, their flagship in um, Oxford Street mm. has a phenomenal amount of really well embedded technology within it that shows and gives the customer a really great experience. So I think using those sort of models and case studies moving forward, it will be great. So, Alison, you know, you, you've, you've done so much for so many people, but where do you get your inspiration from? Where do you know, is there any, are you reading much? Are you following people on social media? Where do you get your inspiration from? Um, I suppose most of my inspiration comes from other entrepreneurs, mm. anybody setting up a business, um, you know, growing their businesses, other entrepreneurs absolutely fascinate me I read every book going I have piles of them um, as the Amazon man knows who's constantly bringing things to my door um, I belong to lots of entrepreneurial networks I was one of the um, founding members of the Center for Entrepreneurs I'm a judge on the Great British Entrepreneur Awards which I love oh, wow. because that also takes me out of just fashion as well yeah. because for me I don't want to be just in fashion because that doesn't help me bring in other skills. So sure, to my yeah. mind, it's always been important to have the balance. Mm. Um, so seeing what other people are doing in other sectors, I can then bring in and introduce into fashion. So the Great British Entrepreneur Awards to me is absolutely amazing. The people, the businesses that are mm. out there um, are absolutely incredible and some amazing 
really young people. There was this amazing 18 year old guy who created um, this floodgate uh, to go in your doorways, this special, mm. like it folds back and it just cuts, shuts across as soon as water gets to a certain, 18 years old, coming up with these amazing business ideas. Wow. Um, so that really inspires me and it gives me different ideas. And um, through that network, I'm obviously then connected with lots of different, you know, quite, pretty high level entrepreneurs mm. as well, who are also investors in other companies yeah so again always learning and, and that's how I get lots of my knowledge about technology about what's coming new mm -hmm. saying, because with the Great British Entrepreneur Awards we are we come from all different fields and yeah. I've been a judge for them for six years now so wow okay when do they run that what what time part of the year is that it's now so if okay. anyone's listening now enter now I think the judging uh the entries close in June in early June wow and a great opportunity for anyone. I have been particularly trying to get fashion brands to enter because mm. um, it's amazing that um, fashion businesses still don't see themselves as entrepreneurs. They see themselves as creatives. Mm. Um, but, you know, the few that I have managed to entice into, um, you know, entering and doing it, um, they did say it was really valuable, not necessarily if they didn't win, but it's the network that they met, the potential investors that they got in front of, seeing how other brands are doing well. Um, mm. And we've had a really big drive over the last few years in Great British Entrepreneurs from beauty brands. In fact, a couple of our winners over the last couple of years have been small, two amazing sisters from um, Wales that were creating their own makeup brush brand in the shed at the bottom of their garden. Wow. And now have a multi-million pound brand having won Great British Entrepreneur Awards. Um, they went through all the different, they went through their local round, regional mm. and international. So that's it, that part I find inspiring. Um, mm. Great avid learner from somebody who ran away from school at 16, <laughs> not wanting to learn. I knew school environment wasn't for me. My degree, I didn't, I did online learning right back in the day, um, yeah. Open University. Um, me reading reading is my learning and yeah. i'm an avid reader i have every newsletter going i subscribe to everything i sit every morning with my morning coffee going through all the different newsletters mm. power. And yeah it's i mean you're you're absolutely right knowledge is power and i think it sounds to me and i've done the same actually i've i've learned a lot more over the last 15 years than i ever did previous to that i think you know as you as you do get a little older i'm talking about myself obviously um it's important to 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 not just absorb stuff but really learn it you know really absorb it and learn it and implement it i think that's the important part isn't it and alison i know you've done loads and you know you've been uh, we, we literally could talk for hours and hours and hours and no doubt we will at some point in the future but i just want to ask a quick question uh, about kind of your proudest moments what in your career to date what were the kind of pinnacles the bits that you just thought oh my god that was such a great day um Going to the palace to get my MBA. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I can think imagine. that has to be um, the most terrifying day. Mm. <laughs> um, for that naughty rebel who has to go along and behave in a certain way. And when I ever go into very formal um, things, 
Yeah. It's like that teenage rebel always comes <laughs> I don't know what it is. If you put me into a, a formal networking event or some really high-level business, I start acting the bloody fool. I start telling <laughs> jokes. I don't know what it is. So um, going to the palace where you have all this formal, you have to yeah. do something. I mean, like literally they tell you how many steps. You take three steps, you turn, you curtsy, you take three steps back. And you're like, oh, my God person so i'm gonna cartwheel i'm gonna do something out there that i shouldn't be doing yeah i I was absolutely terrified in fact the 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 guard that was walking me down when it was getting to my point as well is i think i was so tense with just behave alice and just behave just do it right Mm -hmm. um i actually said to him has anybody ever fainted (laughs) (laughs) i think i might faint um doing it and he said no madam they haven't but don't worry we have we have st john's ambulance so I was really nervous and then the other thing that really set me off was um I was there the same day as Erin O'Connor so Erin O'Connor was also getting for modeling in the fashion industry yeah yeah now here's somebody who is taught to walk that is her job yeah yeah yeah. she messed up the walk she forgot oh my goodness and so we could watch the other people on the tv screen as they were doing it and so when she messed up her walk, I was like, well, I don't stand a hope in hell of getting this <laughs> She's a professional walker as well, goodness. A professional walker, and she got yeah. it wrong. I'm bound to get it wrong. Um, so it was terrifying. It was amazing. Um, yeah. Her Majesty the Queen was, I mean, A, she stood for two and a half hours. That was where yeah. actually the last one that she's probably done as a formal one. They're now being done William and Charles. So okay. really thrilled that um, I got her. But mm. you know, she came through and she, her, her, she asks you questions, which, again, we weren't prepared for, mm. of like, oh, my God, what do I say to the Queen? Um, mm. um, she asked me, you know, what, is, what are the challenges for young designers these days? Amazing, yeah. yeah. So uh, she's really prepped. And um, yeah. also I have this brilliant picture, at which if anybody goes on my social media after this, you will see there is the picture of me and the Queen laughing. Okay. And everybody says, what are you laughing at? And I'm going, I haven't got a clue. I had no idea. It was a blur. I presume she was laughing at me. I'm sure she wasn't. I'm sure she wasn't. So that's proud. And the reason I'm really proud of that is because it comes from the industry. So Mm. industry people have to nominate you and you have to have 10 to 15 nominations to be able to be put forward for it. Yeah, yeah. And it's all very secret and you don't know who's doing it. So Mm. um, that to me was A, the amazing thing of getting it, but also to know that high-level people in the industry Mm. had nominated me for it. And that really um, was hugely proud. Yeah. Um, The day my my book on Amazon became a bestseller. Yeah. So the guy that I was working with on that rang me up and said, have you looked at Amazon? And I said, no, you know, began starter, not a finisher. It was out there. That was it. I didn't realize I was supposed to go back and look at it. And he kept telling me off because I was supposed to go on and comment on people's quotes and things. Um, and it had the little one and the hashtag in the corner. To say it was Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, but also proud moments of every time. I think any of my designers have succeeded in something that has made them happy. Whether yeah. that's doing a show and being backstage and really being there in that moment with them or getting some phenomenal order or opening their first store or Mm. whatever it is to me and I don't have a right to be proud in that I'm not proud of them I am thrilled that I am part of it 
Mm. Um, so, you know, I always say that I, I'm not there. I just give advice. It's up to them whether they take it or not. I have no right to take pride in them having any success mm. Mm. because their businesses and they've done it. I've just helped little bits on the way. But I do. There is a thing of like, they've done it. I feel proud. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the industry is full. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of also career, my career previously. And, you know, there there are moments that I've had with people that I actually feel very proud of that I've known and I've worked with. And I think the industry, this is something you can't really put into words for anyone outside of the industry, because it is very close. It is very, I'm not going to use the word like clicky or anything like that, because it's not. It's very wholesome. When you really scrape it back and you really understand what the people are about, they're all doing it for each other. And I yeah. think you've absolutely beautifully kind of summarized there what what the industry is all about. And um, yeah, the other thing that goes with that is the fact that those people, just like no doubt people that you've worked with in the past, they will never forget those moments. They will never forget the way that you looked after them or the way you called a favor in for them or the way you supported them when they were dark and it was tough and it was bloody hard work. And those really are the moments, aren't they? That I'm yeah. sure you'll agree. You know, those are the moments that, that resonate. And, um, you know, so many people can be affected by probably the best industry in the world. It's bloody hard work, but my goodness, when it's good, it's great, isn't it? I also think it's about them taking, and the one thing I found very early on, which was again around this, and I mentioned it earlier about mental health in the industry is, mm -hmm. and, and it is very difficult when you're running your own business, is you're always striving for the next thing mm -hmm. and never stopping and appreciating where you've got to, what you have done. Um, and I saw that I, I, I was very lucky to work um, with Lee McQueen. Mm -hmm. um, and Lee didn't ever get that opportunity to really enjoy his successes. It was always, um, you know, having to push on, having to achieve the next thing, because actually in many ways, the industry put those pressures on him. So you've done that. So you've got to do this now. Now you've got to do this. Um, and then you get investors and things in the business and they're pushing you even further. So one of the things that I always say as well is making sure that the, the brands that I work with do stop and enjoy the successes that take it out because otherwise they forget. Yeah. And they're so busy going like, oh, I haven't done this. Or they're looking at other brands and going, well, you know, why am I not like, mm -hmm. why have I not had the success that Erdem's got? And just, again, reminding them that everybody's on their own path. Everybody yeah. gets there in a different way. Yeah. And actually, they might not want to be where McQueen was or Erdem is. Um, that they've got a different mindset. They're running a different business. And, again, I think one of the things that I found when I came into the fashion industry was this idea that everybody had to run their businesses the same way. That there was this formula that people did in the industry and I have always said to people, do it your way. This mm -hmm. is your business. And if it's your business, that means you don't have to do Fashion Week if you don't want to do it. You don't have to go to wholesale. You don't have to price your product that way if you don't want to. Because at the end of the day, you chose to run a business. It's your business. Do it your way. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can enjoy that as well. Um, so with some of the brands that I work with, you know, we will have a day out once a year, which is our celebration day. And we'll go to a pub or a bar or a restaurant and just sit down and look back over that year. What did you achieve? Yeah. How better off are you? I mean, obviously, it's been a really shit year this year mm -hmm. with everything that's been going on. But there's still been successes. And it's yeah. a case of tech stepping back and doing that. 
because if you don't reflect, you don't learn. This is true, yeah. You don't learn, you don't grow. So to me, the reflection process is really important because if you're always striving, you're like a hamster on a wheel and you're never going to get there. Mm -hmm. You, You want to be able to stop, reflect and grow from that. Yeah. Taking stock. Very important. Very, very important. Well, Alison, I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. I hope the listener has also. Um, honestly, it's been great. And, and uh, you know, I, I no doubt, you know, we started this relationship, this communication over the last few weeks, really. But I, I really do genuinely hope that we can keep communicating, we can keep in touch. And, um, and you know, I've got your details, but how can our listeners get your details? How can they see pictures of you laughing with the Queen, more importantly? Okay, so um, Alison Lowe, MBE. Very easy. You'll find me mm-hmm. on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find me on Clubhouse or go over to um, the website, either Felicities. Um, so it's felicities.co.uk or my agency, startyourownfashionlabel.com. Yeah, fabulous. And I'll put all the details in the show notes. So if you listen to this, you didn't get that. You didn't have a pen and paper to hand. They'll all be in the show notes. So you'll be able to go over there and um, and get all the information you need. Alison, it's been a delight. Thank you so, so much. Honestly, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Hopefully we've, uh, we've covered a few things off. And I know I'm already thinking about some other questions that I want to ask you at another date. So let's do this again sometime soon. So Warren, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to to um do this and and thank you and i'd love to come back anytime (laughs) right okay and if not i'll see you in a room soon as they say on clubhouse you on clubhouse (laughs) all right take care all the best bye-bye bye Alison there from startyourownfashionlabel.com. Thank you, Alison. I thoroughly enjoyed that chat. Do you know what, listener? We must have had a chat for about an hour and a half after that recording, just literally reminiscing about the good old days and trade shows and some of the goings-ons, shall we say. <laughs> I can't really say any more than that, honestly, but it was it was great. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Um, I've also got a bit of an apology um, to you, listener, and also, more importantly, to Alison. Because do you remember the pinging noise that was going on throughout the episode? I realised afterwards it was actually my email notifications coming through. So it was my fault. And bless her, Alison was all panicky worrying about it. So sorry, Alison. Um, bit of a schoolboy error. Oh, well, I suppose we all we all learn from time to time and it won't happen again. So next time, listener, I will see you and I will ensure that my mute button is firmly pressed on my laptop. And yeah, I'll see you on the next one. Take care. Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning. Keep listening and keep creative.